Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. I am so excited to be in the Mod Pod studio yet again. And this is where, uh, applause, applause. <laughs> That's JD laughing in the background. <laughs> yes, friends. I will do my best to keep this as consistent as possible. The way that we record the podcast sometimes are a little bit uh I don't want to say piecemealed together, but a lot of the times we have recorded some of these podcast episodes at different times. And so the schedule, because we do them weekly, kind of is a little sporadic. But from here on out, I think um, I would say probably 60% of the episodes will be from Mod Pod Studio, which I'm really excited to just, you know, be here more and uh, showcase how awesome the studio is. I forget that I'm on camera. <laughs> I literally keep forgetting. Uh, anyway, today we have um, n- not so much of a guest so much as uh, co-hosting support. We have Tessa Tovar here in the studio and Tessa is a yoga and, and med- <laughs> she, she did her own, her own clap track. Um, she is a yoga and meditation teacher. She's a health coach and she is also the director of operations over at Radically Loved. Um, JD seems to be somebody who's there's, I feel like there's people that take an opportunity like this to kind of pivot and have a new business model and innovate on a situation that a lot of us can get kind of down on and, and think, well, that's it for me. Like my career is over. I guess I'll just apply for a job at a fast food restaurant. So it got me kind of thinking a little bit in terms of how, you know, that saying when one door closes, another opens, it feels really true. And it feels like JD is somebody who, who really amplifies or lives that. I'm just always in, in awe of his ability to just do that. And so I think it's something really important for all of us to be able to do. And so that really stuck with me because as much as we all think we show up authentically and genuinely, I still think that a lot of us still have that mask that we put on in public, especially, you know, for those of us that have businesses and we have platforms, like you want to put your best foot forward, you know, it's, it's really hard to be, and I say that with, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, because a lot of people that are listening to this podcast know that I've shared some, some really, you know, personal details about my life. And, and I've documented a lot of things on my blog or or articles that I've written, but I think it's still very much a veneer of who we are. And so we are able to experience those moments and show up in, in, well, we have an opportunity to really show up as, as authentically and as genuinely as we are, um, 
I really resonate with that. And if I resonate that with that, I'm sure everybody else out there resonates with that. We still have breath in our lungs. We still have the opportunity to create something new, to do something different. And to, yeah, I mean, not get bogged down with the the minutia of, of everything that's happening. You know, one, one thing actually that, you know, Tori and I were just talking about is the ability to be able to disconnect to the things that aren't really serving your highest good. And it's really hard to, to do that sometimes, especially when you're in the midst of a spin or if you're in a depressed state, to be able to just, yeah, talk about the things that are going to help us serve our, our highest good, meaning something that's going to feed your your joy, your your happiness, as opposed to doing things that aren't feeding it, that are making you feel like shit. Uh, shout out to Kathy uh, Hing- Hingen. I don't know if I'm saying your name, if I'm totally mispronouncing that. Um, but Kathy has been doing our, she's part of our radically loved family. She's been doing the show notes for a long time now, but she creates these workbooks that go with every single episode. So if people go to radicallyloved.com and you go into the podcast, you can you can find all the show notes for the shows there. And again, this is something I've never actually even said as I'm doing the interview. Um, but there's a whole workbook that people can download and use while they're listening to the podcast or after they listen to the podcast. So what I've done actually when somebody leaves me with a very, you know, poignant quote or they incited some thought or some inspiration, I often just find Kathy's workbooks and then I just kind of go through it and I I try to answer some of the questions, which has been really helpful for me. But, you know, it's like we think um, 60,000 thoughts per day and 90% of them are the same thing. It's this repetitive cycle and we are operating from our sub- subconscious mind most of the time. So like 95% of that neurotransmitter is ninety is is subconscious. So there's only 5% of that that's actually able to create that new synapse in your brain to create something new. So if you're spending 95% of that subconscious and you're out of balance and you're doing things that are just like Groundhog's Day – and you expect to get a different result or to feel differently, it's going to be really hard. I'm not saying it's impossible, you know, and I'm not a mental health expert by any means. It's just, I don't even want to say common sense because sometimes people don't even know that it's a simple, it's a simple thing to recognize, not a simple thing to fix, but does that make sense? It totally does. And it has me thinking about how, um, how food plays into oh. our, our habits and behaviors and how it makes us feel and how it fuels our habits and behaviors. And especially because you brought up Ayurveda, I'm thinking a lot about the season of fall and in Ayurveda, how we, um, the recommendation is that we transition our diet to a, a more fall diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I'm wondering if, if you're thinking about your health and how your mental health and how your physical health are transitioning into the fall and, and what yeah. anything are you changing? In yeah, your- look, I mean, we, we've talked about this and, 
Yes, I think it's important for us to eat seasonally. Obviously, both of us have have done the the homework and and we're well versed in in all things uh, food and health. But it that doesn't mean it makes it any easier. Of course, it's important to eat with the seasons to um, abide by the fall uh, bounty, so to speak. And, and I love fall foods. Like I love, I'm, I've been making a lot of butternut squash soup, uh, a lot of root vegetables. And, uh, to me, the way that that affects my mental health is, I mean, it's unquestionable. I mean, the, the way that I eat is 100% going to affect the way that I feel. It's going to affect whether I'm feeling irritable if I'm frenetic, if I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm laughing because in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to say that I'm completely out of balance right now? And I'm talking about being in balance. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'm having a hard time right now with, with the food and my health. And it's something that I've been talking about for the last couple of months. And, you know, last night, you know this, Tessa, and I've talked about it on the podcast. I'm fucking allergic to peanut butter, and I am just, I am fucking committed to just eating it as much as I can. And I know that I'm allergic to peanut butter, like to peanuts. I shouldn't have them, but but it's so hard for me to not. And it's just like clockwork, you know, as I'm sitting here telling you, oh, you do the same thing. How do you expect to get <laughs> anything the opposite? You know, I had peanut butter last night and we talked earlier and I was in my workout gear because I wanted to go for a run and it was you know three o'clock in the afternoon and the run happens at like seven o'clock in the morning so obviously I didn't go for a run um but the reason why I didn't go is because well I I woke I woke up a little later than I liked and I had some stuff to do but really my my knees were like swollen and I just felt like I didn't get enough sleep last night Tori and I stayed up later than the norm because we were watching a show and yeah, I felt really inflamed. And to me, like I know my body so well, I'm so dialed into when something's not right. And when I wake up and my knees are swollen and everything else during the day, it's like, I'm, ha I'm mostly vegan. Like I'm eating these, you know, seasonal vegetables that I got at whole foods and I, I made them. And, you know, like we still have our, our green chef, recipes and we're making those and then oh but right before I go to bed I'm I'm going to have some peanut butter um before Wait, I go are to you sleep. telling me this is what you're doing tonight oh or no this, that, is what happened last this is what night. happened last night okay yeah and I woke up and I was feeling inflamed you know so so just to yeah. the whole point of being able to yeah, just pay attention to how you're, you're, oh, that here's, was my point. I was like, where, I had a point. I was making a point. It's the peanut butter is still fucking me up. I'm still a little like loopy from it. But the point is that I didn't get my workout in. I was feeling inflamed. My knees were hurting. Uh, and the day was kind of weird today. You know, like everything was thrown off and it just seemed like one thing after another and as you and I are even talking earlier, and I'm trying to not go into the spin of negative, what did I keep doing? I was like, everything's amazing. Everything's great. No, it's fine. I'm grateful. Like, I have to really change that because if I don't, then I, I could be just like a lot of people out there 
I didn't get to do my workout. I didn't get to do this. I didn't get to do that. So you know what? I I'm tired today. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to eat peanut butter. Literally on my drive here in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have peanut butter tonight because we're going to get home a little later than, than normal. And it's just the same fucking repetitive cycle over and over, you know? That's how it affects your mental health. That's just what I'm saying. Go on. So what do you do in those moments when you, you, the first step I always feel like is to acknowledge that bellwether, that flag, like, Hey, something's off here. But once you acknowledge it, just like you're saying, it's simple to acknowledge it, but it's hard to correct. How do you go about correcting or changing or? Well, um, Yes, the first thing is to acknowledge. The second thing is to tell on yourself, which is what I'm doing right now. Uh (laughs) That's my big thing. Yep, tell tell on yourself, or you know, write it down, or you know, blog about it. Do do something where you're going to uh, materialize it. And to me, talking about it just allows me to to process what is happening, and and then it gives me an opportunity to. Uh, reflect on what's actually happening. Like, why does that keep happening? There's a hiccup in the process of my day that allows me to go into the state of doing something that's going to keep me out of balance, right? So I just have to be mindful about it and be aware, like what happens? It's that whole adage, like, what are you really hungry for, right? right? Like, you really have to ask yourself, what is it that you really want? So when I pick up that tub of peanut butter, I have to really ask myself, like, what do I really want? And I'm like, well, I want some peanut butter. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> this is really what I want right now. I want to eat this peanut butter. Um, but really, there, there's always going to be something else. Like, what what am I trying to placate? What am I trying to numb? You know, we've ta- we in, in that episode that we recorded, you know, we talked about vices and different things that we do in order to sort of numb that and you know that for me it's always going to be food related so obviously there's something to that and um yeah so I I think for the people that are listening to this that can relate on some level really ask yourself those questions and if if you do have a desire to change it recognize it tell somebody uh write it down and then ask yourself you know, I'm not saying, oh, you have to stop right then, but really reflect in that moment and ask yourself, what, what is it that you really want? You know, it's like, yeah, I want, I want the fucking peanut butter. I want to eat it. It's delicious. But what is it that I really want in that moment? You know, and if it's just like, oh, I'm just craving the crunch or cause it's crunchy peanut butter. I, I'm just craving the crunch or I'm craving the, the flavor, you know, whatever it is, it's like, can I make a tea instead? Or can I have a date? Can I have like something else, you know? And, and I think you can sort of deduce your craving in that way. Yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. Now I want peanut butter though. I know. I know that's the difference. I mean, you remember during, uh, Tessa has done several of my yoga teacher trainings and I mean, she would see me sometimes. It's so funny. Like you can think back to the different trainings when I was a little bit imbalanced, you, I'd walk in with like my bag of like treats and everybody, I don't know what it is about teacher trainings that everybody always walks in with chocolate and snacks and it's just. And 10 beverages. And 10. <laughs> ten- <laughs> Ten beverages. <laughs> it's so, so true. Beverages. Yes, so many beverages. Well, it's just you're learning and things feel good. And I think when you're in a space of 
learning and, and diving deep, especially in, in yoga philosophy, or if you're in a group community of uh, friends and, you know, fellow yogis and yoginis, it's just so nice, right? Everybody's sharing, we're learning, we're, we're in community, we're wanting to just feel good. And it's just so nice to have those little snacks. It's so nice and to share. I always feel like I'm in my little nest. It feels like a nest. And then when trainings are over, it's like, I got kicked out of my little nest. I know. I mean, trust me, I I hear you. You know, I I love those moments too. And you know, it's every time it's like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Every time. (laughs) What is, so, I know. For you right now, like what has been the reoccurring theme and, and, you know, knowing this whole transition, we're in fall now, we've got a lot of things going on, there's an election coming. I mean, it's just a very intense time. Like, what are you doing to maintain that balance for yourself? Uh, Well, I have really good habit of getting up at the same time every day. I wake up like clockwork at about 5.30 a.m. I get out of bed by like 6 a.m. I always scrape my tongue. <laughs> um, everybody knows what tongue scraping is. I, you've, you've talked about tongue scraping I don't, before. I don't know if I've talked about it. But just tell everybody what it is. Okay, so tongue scraping is an Ayurvedic uh, practice where you have this, it's, it looks like a horseshoe, like yes. a really tiny little horseshoe kind of a thing that you stick in your mouth. You stick out your tongue and like you would brush your, your tongue with your toothbrush, but it's you just oh. get it in one scrape because the idea is that a layer of scum and bacteria mm-hmm. develops on your tongue overnight. So you want to get rid of that sucker before you swallow it. Yeah. But I kid I you not. I mean, when then when I do go to eat something or drink tea, whatever I'm going to have in the morning, my taste buds are so much more flavorful. I can, I can taste things way differently. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. I mean, I've, I've been doing it for so long. I wouldn't know what it's like to not, to not do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. On, on that note, <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Right. So what are you, what are you looking forward to the most for the next couple of weeks? It's October. Um, I don't know if we want to say exactly what day it is. It's a Friday. You guys are listening to this pretty real time. Um, yeah. yeah. What are you looking forward to the most? Well, I am super excited to go backpacking this weekend. It is like my big passion and I am a three season backpacker. So that means I don't generally go in the winter when there's snow. So this is like my last opportunity to go during the fall, which is my favorite time of year. So that's the second thing that I'm just enjoying the weather right now. I'm enjoying the fall season. I yeah. love the, those crisp mornings and the color of the trees oh. and the changing of the seasons. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and just so that you guys know, Tessa's actually in Portland. She's up in Oregon. And uh, that's actually where we met. And I'm sure that the more that she's on the show, you will get to know more about our story. And, um, yeah, like I love that you get to experience seasons. Right now it's 96 <laughs> degrees outside, <laughs> literally 96 degrees. And um, yeah, it's it's like summer still here. Yeah. In, in well, and do you get, I mean, what happens in, <laughs> in the fall? <laughs> 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 what, 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 what
what happens? Let me tell you what happens. Nothing. It just gets a tiny bit cooler a little bit like at night. Um, truth be told, when I moved to Portland years ago, back in 2013, I, I didn't own a proper jacket. Like I had my snowboarding jacket that we would, you know, whenever we'd go up, but that was it. I didn't own a real Columbia or Patagonia or like a jacket for cold. Um, because I never really experienced it. I mean, think about it when, you know, I, I grew up wearing flip-flops during Christmas time. (laughs) Like it's just, that's the norm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Does that feel weird? Does it feel weird now? I mean, I guess if you grew up with it. I mean, honestly, like I grew up with it. So all Tori and I talk about this constantly as well. Like uh, all I wanted because, you know, when you're a kid, you have in your classroom, you have all the things on the walls and there's like a little calendar. And when it's April, you see all this like rain and then it's June and then the sun. And then during the fall, you see the fall colors and, and then, December you see the snow and I'm like I never I didn't understand that like to me I I didn't understand this whole season what the season was because I'd never seen them you know everything is always like sunny (laughs) sunny and clear so you know in in a way as I got older all I wanted was to see the leaves change color and to actually have that seasonal experience and so when I moved up to Portland, I, I actually had that experience, albeit a little too much of the gray and the and the raining. But, uh, you know, traveling all across the U.S. at this point, you know, seeing the different seasons in like Colorado or the East Coast. And it's just it's so beautiful. I mean, it really it really is. I mean, I miss it up there. I'm trying to convince Tori to move back up there. But yes, Tori, please move back. Oh, Tori. Tori is going to be in LA, I think, for the rest of his life. He's just like turned into an LA person, I think. Yeah. He's literally sitting right here, just watching for a reaction. I mean, it would be really nice. It would be really nice. I'll put it on my vision board, on my vision quest. Um, Okay, so. Forward to in these next coming weeks. Oh, what am I? I mean, I. I do want to bring up elections. I'm like so curious to know how things are feeling oh, down there. And I mean, I think, look, I have always been a fan. When I, when I first entered college, a lot of my courses were political science uh, classes. I was really into, I was in the debate team at Pasadena City College, like trying to get um, the, the unhealthy vending machine foods out of the vending machines. Like I was really into it. You know, a lot of this is what really spawned this whole idea of bringing yoga to at-risk communities because it just, it's really important to me. So I've always really been into politics. Um, I've never been the person to be really out about how I I feel about certain policies and politics. Um, You know, just because... I, I'm look, I'm a very open person. Uh, I believe in having two sides of a coin. I think it's important for us to always be open to the other because that's the only way that we learn. Um, there's two sides to every story. And I think that there are plus and minuses on both sides of the leading political parties. 
Um, and I, I currently think that we are in, in a world of trouble. I mean, we are, we are being led by a, uh, president that is fueling a lot of things that are creating, uh, hate and, you know, discord. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a I'm a yogi, you know, like I, I think that there are different ways of, of dealing with, um, people that don't agree in a top on a topic. And unfortunately, sometimes things need to be broken down before they can, they can build back up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think right now is, is one of those times. I think we can really, um, we can really learn a lot about what's happening right now if we want it to end, <laughs> you know? Um, yep. So, you know, that being said, I think I, I'm actually, I, I'm filled with a lot of hope, you know? Um, in 2016, during that election, a lot of people were really surprised, as was I, but after traveling the U.S. Uh, the following year, I realized, wow, the the person that lived in the bubble was definitely me. And I talked to a lot of people. I learned a lot of things. And it this isn't a this isn't a one side is better than the other conversation. This is a people conversation. This is a human rights conversation. This is a um, values conversation that I think we need to focus on the way that we are more alike than what makes us different um and look i'm not gonna i'm not again it's like i don't want to get too much into the politics but i think we just need to be able to hear one another again and to uh really respect each other and and i don't think that people are being respected at all right now um and, and I, I, I know that things will change. And I, like I said, I'm really hopeful about what's, what's happening. Um, as you know, I've been consulting all the Vedic astrologers and I keep doing uh, <laughs> the U.S.'s Vedic astrology. Um, shout out to Laura Plum, because uh, that's what I like to do when I contact my local psychic and Vedic astrologer. I'm like, what's going to happen with the election? What's going to happen in the U.S.? And yeah, there, there's going to be a little bit of upheaval, but I, I think it, the shit storm that we've experienced will come to an end. And I, I think it's important for people to remain grounded and remain hopeful and remain loving. And, you know, so many people talking about, oh, there's going to be a civil war and this is going on. And one quick example, and I'll, I'll stop talking about it because I'm like, now I'm really getting into it. Get but, you know, up. when I when I, I go up to Portland at least once a month, you know, I come up there, I do my little writing retreat. Sometimes I don't even tell people I'm going. I just show up there. Well, you know, obviously, because I'm, I'm with you most of the time. But I, when all this stuff was going on, you know, the protests for, for Black Lives Matter and, you know, all the the rioting that the news kept reporting on I was a little bit nervous going up there you know I I was a little bit like should I not be coming up there like I know that there's a lot of um, fighting going on a lot of opposition there's a lot of people that are very upset and very um, angry Mm -hmm. and 
I got up there and the minute I got off the airplane, I just felt like, obviously, because, you know, I love Portland so much. I just felt like, oh, like it just felt so good to be up there surrounded by trees. And then the moment that I got into the city, I I felt better and and I just kind of looked around and I'm like, oh, no, you guys, Portland's still here. It's still yeah. in one piece. Um, not on fire. It's not <laughs> on fire. And then that was that was actually after the first sort of bout back in May or June, I think. And then this last time I was just there, it's so now I'm just like, OK, whatever. The news is going to report whatever they're going to report. And, you know, just what are you going to do? You know, I just disconnect from it now. But it was funny. I was up there and, you know, on a little riding retreat. And I just like to put my headphones on and go for a nice little epic walk. I call them. I love talking to the trees and I stay by the waterfront. So I just kind of go all around if I'm getting a little bit creatively stuck. And it was so beautiful and so peaceful. Everybody's running like people are out. It's totally normal people are going into athleta and like <laughs> shopping and doing what they do you know it's like there's it is there was a small area by where they're doing all the demonstrations and most of which have been peaceful this is coming from people that are in portland um and it just so happened that i googled portland as i was standing there with this uh, person i was talking to on the street and all the headline were, were all the headlines were Portland's on fire, massive riots. There's, you know, all this stuff going on. And, and I'm not saying that in the recent, that what we've heard recently about what, what's happening with all the statues, I'm not saying that that's not happening now, but I'm just saying like I was there and people are passionate about their rights. People have the right to, to, you know, um, stand up for what they believe, uh, I'm not going to talk about how I feel about the rioting and all that stuff. But what I will say is that um, I was pleasantly surprised when I showed up and it was uh, still in one piece. So it's still there. I think we just get so stuck in our, um, you know, we watch the news and it's, it's really fear based and it's a hundred percent get stuck in that yeah that of a negative loop or a cycle of behavior oh yes and if you don't see it for yourself I mean who how do you know what to trust well and that's so. the thing and look you guys media the media news their job is to keep you watching <laughs> their job is to keep you watching the news like that's their job so you take it with a grain of salt and you know, I, I think it's important for people to really inquire within. If it's something that's making you feel bad, then, you know, you have to disengage. It's just like the peanut butter coming back to the peanut butter. It's something that is not good for you. And it's, it's bleeding into other areas of your life. Then it's probably time to give yourself a break. I mean, Tori and I take, take uh, news breaks all the time, all the time. We go days without just engaging, you know, and just being like, okay, Obviously, like we read the news in the morning, but we don't want to be completely under a rock. But we choose to to um, we choose to seek it out. It's not just like on the TV playing in the background, like some some people we know that's just playing in the background all day long, and you're just hearing these these things constantly. And it's it, it's it's like that saying: the the world is a scary place, but it's also not. Right. I mean, it, it really is dependent on your world is 
what is who and what is in your current home what is happening in your life your family your friends are they okay like bring your attention your energy back into this and now how can you help and branch out but if you're not in a good place and if watching the news and being on social media and doing all these things and is creating a, a big level a huge amount of of uh, discord in your life then obviously it's not serving you it might be time to reevaluate um I don't like watching things that make me feel some kind of way. You know, if something's making me afraid, that's why the whole conspiracy videos and all that stuff, like Facebook, like I, after 2016, I basically left Facebook. Like I don't go on there. I don't want anybody targeting me. You watch The Social Dilemma. Did we talk about this? We talked about it a little bit. I still haven't seen The Social Dilemma. Oh. It is on my list. Oh, don't even, you know what, Tess, you're so good no, about no. not watching stuff. <laughs> like that's so, that's so you great. Know how I'm such an empath. I, I know. And, and that is like the most difficult thing because again, to me, anything that is going to make me feel, I don't want somebody else in charge of how I feel. I get to, yeah. I get to make the decision. And I think so many of us have, have disempowered ourselves through technology in a way because we've allowed our emotional health to be dictated by social currency. How many likes am I getting? Oh, I want to watch this video. Now on to the next video. I start watching a show on Netflix. It's automatically starting the next episode. Like I don't even have to do anything. It's just being fed to me. I want to be, I want to be fed. It's all, you know, comfort is, is, uh, can be insidious. Yeah. One hundred percent. If we're in a if we're in a state of comfort, if we're comfort in comfort, like we we're not we're not in a place where we can move forward because we're comfortable. Why would we want to grow? Why would we want to change our mentality? Why would we want to change anything? Because why? I'm comfortable. I want to stay here, you know. Um, so so I think it's just those are interesting things to to take note. More on that yeah. maybe next week. We can dig into that a little bit dig into it more well I did I do want to hear what you're excited about though oh damn we kind of went down this like dark place what am I excited about yeah um I'm excited honestly I love the fall so much I love watching scary shows um I I like watching those like reality scary I don't like to watch horror movies I I don't unless it's like yeah I, I don't actually remember the last horror movie we watched but um, that's not my favorite, but I like watching like ghost adventures or, you know, like paranormal, real, okay. like caught on tape. They're so uh, campy and just fun. And I, I really like watching that kind of stuff during October, you know, Halloween's coming and then Thanksgiving's coming and I love to cook and Tori's family's coming down and I'm probably going to end up cooking for everybody and it's going to be awesome. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, what are you planning on cooking? Do you have like a favorite dish? You oh, know how every family has that favorite yes. dish that they're like, is Essa. Aunt Bessie making the green jello salad with the walnuts <laughs> and <laughs> on it? <laughs> I love, I literally just picture that in my mind right now. Uh, my I, grandma used to make it. It's, yeah. What is it? Is it delicious? No, it's not good. I hate it. Okay. <gasps> my sister loves it. So she would make it for my sister, but I would never eat that stuff. What is your favorite thing to eat during Thanksgiving? I love the mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm a total mashed potatoes girl. Mashed potatoes and gravy all the way. Oh, that's so good. I love that. 
Um, I make a killer cornbread souffle. That's my jam. And I make uh, the cranberry sauce for the yeah. for the cornbreads. GF. And uh, I think I made a vegan one last year, and it wasn't as good. So um, I'm I may have to go back to doing the regular, the regular one. You guys, I'm a McVegan. You know that. I know I'm going to get, ve- the vegans are going to come for me. They always do anytime I say some shit like this on, on the podcast. <laughs> um, okay, so so that's, I think we can, we can now um, introduce our guest for today's episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed uh, Tessa and I's little banter together. Um, Tessa, thank you so much for, for doing this. Of course, my pleasure. Um, so today we have a very special guest, so stay tuned to listen to today's episode. What is Green Chef? Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well, easy, and affordable with plants to fit every kind of lifestyle. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide array of easy to follow lifestyles with select organic ingredients. Meal plans include paleo, plant-powered, keto, and balanced living. Many of you know that I've been on a health journey and with Green Chef's wide variety of high quality clean ingredients, you can feel great about what you're eating and how it got on your table. At the beginning of the year, I was really anxious about going to the grocery store. So having Green Chef delivered to my home was something that I really was grateful for. They offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking. The minute that Tori sees the Green Chef box come to our doorstep, he is so excited because he knows we're going to have something new and exciting. And both of us work from home and we have extremely busy schedules. So it's really nice and convenient to have everything ready to go so that I can go into the kitchen, spend some time focusing on something that's going to nourish us that's healthier, wholesome, high quality, and sustainably sourced. And if you want $80 off of your first month, just type my code, Loved 80 to get $80 off of your first month plus free shipping on your first box. Go to greenchef.com forward slash loved, L-O-V-E-D, 80 to redeem and for more details. That's greenchef.com forward slash loved 80. And now back to our show. I am joined by a very special guest today. I had, this is where being a podcaster uh, has its advantages because I get advanced copies of proofs of books that haven't even come out yet. And when I received this book, I was, for some reason, it, it just spoke to me. And out of all the books that I get, I just happened to pick this one up and I read it from cover to cover. Um, and I'm excited to be able to have the author here with us. Um, so Paria Hasori, doctor, do, do I call you doctor? No, Paria, please call me Paria. Uh, okay. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I am so, so, so for those of you who may not know who Paria is, she's a pediatrician, a mother of three, and she's a transgender activist. She lives in Los Angeles and her work, um, being a transgender activist is something that's very near and dear to her because she was directly um, sort of, she has a direct experience with it, which I'm excited to, to chat about. Um, the sort of chronicling of your story, um, obviously like 
I, I come from an unimmigrant family as well. And so there was so much of culture and tradition that you spoke about in the book that really resonated with me. And so um, I'm, thank you so much for being here. I know I kind of already started. I'm like, let's start with the questions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, just a clarification, because I think it you have the um, advanced copy and it says I'm a transgender um, activist, but on that real copy we've corrected that I'm a transgender rights activist. Oh, you know, okay, right, right, right. The difference being that I myself am not trans, but I have a trans, you know, child. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I didn't so. know that. Oh, see, I would say that, yeah. and I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think that. I yes. would think. That. Yeah. So I made sure we, you know, that on the, you know, final copy, which is out, we did correct, you know, correct that that was yes. you know, put in there. But I'm so excited to be here and talk to you. I think there's so much to talk about. Oh yeah, so so much. I mean, first of all, like how the book is called "Found in Transition." And it is a mother's evolution during her child's gender change. And wow, I mean, talk about something that's so prevalent in our culture right now, this, the, the whole idea of transgender lives, transgender rights, um, and just our ability to learn more and, and classify things in a way where everybody feels inclusive and how to speak the right way. And I mean, I, so I, truth be told, I come from a family. There are, um, uh, both on both sides of my family, uh, there exists LGBTQ plus, mm -hmm. um, people. And I don't, I don't necessarily know that they would want me to broadcast this on the podcast, but I grew up having gay aunts and uncles and just always treating them you know, growing up in, a, in an environment, especially in the Hispanic culture, mm -hmm. where it was sort of a normal thing. But when you think back, and especially now that I'm older, and I'm learning more about microaggressions, and these sort of prejudices that we have growing up, there was a lot of bullying mm -hmm. that happened in front of my eyes that I, I just didn't think anything of, you know. Right. And um, because it is still something that you know, if you're not taught how to be mm -hmm. anything that's different than you is always going to strike that level of, well, you're different. So I'm going to make you feel different. So there's so much of that that I want to explore too. But um, before yeah. we go into my own personal questions, <laughs> I'd love to just, yeah, like hear about what, what inspired you to write this book, you know, and, and how, do, do all of your children feel about it was really one of my biggest questions. Well, I think, you know, what inspired me to write this uh, book is, you know, I considered myself a very open liberal person. And I think I had a lot of experience with um, LGB, but that T is a whole, you know, other thing. And um, you, when my and I really did not have experience with it, with the T part of LGBTQ, you know. <laughs> right. And when my my middle child at the age of 13 and a half came out as trans, I was completely blindsided by it. I felt that my world had just uh, turned upside down. And I actually, despite being 
what I thought was a very open and liberal person, my mind was very closed and shut down when it came to the tea part. And, and so really when she came out to us, I, I didn't think she had any signs of being trans and I, and I thought that, that she was just making this up and trying to get attention and that the chance that she was actually trans was, was less than 1%. And, and, and I made a, a lot of mistakes when she came out. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's really because, and, and so when I started looking for stories like, like ours, I found that the majority of what was out there was about kids who present when they're younger, when they're in earlier childhood, three, four, five years old. Um, and that her story and our story wasn't really out there in, in 2017 when she came out. And and I, I felt like this was sort of the book that I needed to read, but I couldn't oh, find. And so yes. I sort of set out to write it. Um, and so, so you know, he, here we are. Here we are, you, you yes. did it. And, and what I was saying to you before we actually started recording was that even though I'm not a parent, it really spoke to me, the, the navigating, all of the little things that you had to navigate with. Yeah. Realizing, first of all, realizing that you did have that, um, lack of preparation, so to speak, that you didn't have the right vernacular that you, you made those mistakes. Um, because a lot, I mean, there's, like you said, there's no hand, there is a handbook now. So if anybody out there is going through this, you can pick up this book, but what did you do, you know, to, to navigate what what was it that led you to realize um, I'm going to need some help I'm going to need some outside guidance because I don't know that a lot of people would have had the foresight to ask the questions that you asked yeah you know I think it it took some time uh, for me to get to that point where I re where I realized that I had to get my head out of the sand I had to stop being you know I went through phases like like you do anytime the rug is pulled out from under your feet so you know initially it was anger and and denial and then from anger and denial I moved into a period of the worst grief I've ever experienced and then it got to a point where it was like you know grief is not an option anymore you have a child in front of you who needs your support and if you stay stuck in grief she is going to suffer even more than she is now and 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 it, you know it's it's time to to start looking for, for help and and really it got to the point you know a point where um her mental health was deteriorating and mm -hmm. where she started having some suicidal thoughts. And when that's happening with your child, I mean, you, you know, really it's, it's not an option anymore. You need to wake up and, and start educating yourself and contacting the right people and, and getting the right help. And unfortunately, that's not the case for every kid. There are kids who, you know, there are teens who whose parents uh, kick them out of their homes. And there's lots of teens who don't come out and wait until they go to college to come out and live and be their, you know, authentic selves. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately I got my, you know, act together and I contacted the right therapist and got into a support group and, and, and started changing things around. Yeah. I mean, he, one of the other things that I really liked was sort of your, 
your process of uh, sort of coming to the realization that this is what was happening and, and really uh, mourning in a sense, this, this, your, your son is now your daughter, you mm -hmm. know, this, that transition that happens. Um, and I have a, a very close friend who is going through the same thing. And I think that's probably one of the other reasons why it spoke to me in that moment. Um, mm -hmm. And she doesn't know how to cope and how to deal with it. She has one, she has a daughter that wants to, you know, uh, she feels that she is a boy mm -hmm. and, um, you know, her whole life, she's, she's been a little tomboy. Like we, everybody would, would see it, you know? So it was very, it was very, um, you know, uh, apparent to, to most, but I think when you're faced with this sort of coming out and not having the right tools and not knowing what to say. And I mean, her fears, and she's very open, um, you know, with, with him about her fears and, and her, you know, constantly apologizing and, and maybe saying the right th the wrong thing and sort of going through that still, I would say mm -hmm. going through that period of wanting to believe that this is something that he will grow out of at some point. And then coming to the resolve that this may not happen. And, and how do you reconcile you know, her thing is like, this is, she's like, this is my only child, my daughter, like my daughter is now, do I have to mourn her? Like, what do I do in order to now transition in a way where it feels like this is still that I didn't do anything wrong. Right. right? Yeah. So I, I don't know that there's a yeah. question in that. I think I just want your like well, insight. It, well what you're saying is this complex, you're, you're witnessing firsthand in your friend, this complex array of emotions that we as parents of trans kids go through. Um, and it is really, really complicated and it is really, really hard. And I would say to your friend um, that she really should reach out and join us, you know, cause for me, what made, you know, what you see in the book where I start to turn around is when I finally go to a support group for parents, yes. of, you know, trans kids and young adults. And I went to, I, the last thing I wanted to do was go to that support group meeting because I didn't want to be the parent of a trans child and going to a support group meeting was the first step in admitting that I was the parent, you know, of a trans child, mm -hmm. but it was, that first meeting was the most eye-opening two hours of my life and it really, really helped. And as hard as it was, and as much as I cried through my entire first meeting, then I went for the next meeting and then I went for the next meeting. And literally within three to four meetings, I started you know, to change dramatically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, I think, you know, with, you know you're witnessing how hard it is. And I, I think that's one of the things, you know, in writing this book, and now that it's been out for a few weeks, and, um, you know, uh, parents of other trans kids have been reading it. And the feedback that I constantly get from other parents is, you wrote exactly what I've been going through. And, and I get, you know, thank you for telling the world what we go through, because I think there is this, sometimes this perception from outsiders, when they see us 
letting our children, you know, transition and be their authentic, you know, selves. Um, and, you know, sometimes going, you know, allowing our children to medically transition as well. Mm -hmm. People think that just because on the outside, we're all, you know, happy and supportive and posting, you know, pictures, they, that, that we're treating this like it's nothing or that we're making these decisions lightly and nobody is making these decisions for their child, uh, you know, without going through some turmoil, without really thinking about, you know, what they're doing. So um, that, that, yeah, we are, we're not making these decisions lightly. These are difficult decisions, but they are the best decisions that we are making for our kids based on the expert, you know, help and information you know, out there, you know, for us. Yeah. I mean, what was the biggest, what was the biggest belief that you had to ratify or put to bury or put to rest that you did, that you had to, uh, before you decided that, okay, this is happening. Like I need to let go of this old paradigm of, of believing, like what was the most difficult thing to let go of? I think as a mother, it's really hard to come to terms with the fact that you didn't know something so mm. fundamental about your child and that's okay. And that doesn't make you a bad mother. Oh. I think I struggled so much with my identity as a mother and really for me, you know, motherhood has always been such a, like 90% of my identity, even though, you know, I have all these other things. And, and I've always thought that I'm a mom who has had conversations with her kids their whole life, that I've been very in tune with my children. And so I had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, 13 and a half years in, I didn't know this huge thing about my child but that, that didn't make me any less of a good mom. I had to, you know, let go of that like power identity struggle, you know, yeah. within myself and turn it away from, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about my child. Listen to what my child was telling me who they were um, and, and just let, you know, let go of that. And I think what I would say to your friend and what I would say to any other parents is that once you let go of this sort of power struggle and wishing and hoping that it would go away and all of that, your relationship with your child can definitely be better and stronger and more beautiful than you ever thought it could be. Like, you know, she may feel like, oh, I'm losing a daughter or this mother-daughter relationship and what's my future mother-son relationship with this kid gonna be like? And most likely once her child is allowed to be their authentic self and is living their authentic you know life their relationship is going to be better than it ever you know was you know um and it's it's hard to you know it's it's hard to accept that and know that that's going to happen right because when you're in it when you're in it it just seems i mean the conversations that we've had is very has been very um there's like an upheaval that's happening and because it's happening now, just depending on the day, you know, she's reading, she's consuming a lot of books. She's listening to podcasts. She's watching documentaries, you know, she's doing what she can, but 
and, and she knows that she's still holding on. And, and part of what I think is happening in the relationship, you know, with her son is, is that he can feel the, the block, right. Of like, mm-hmm. I know that she's still waiting for me to get over this, you know? And, and as an outsider, of course, you can see that it's like, either you're going to get into it or not. But again, it's like, actually, uh, you know, with, with that in mind, how long did it take you to, to get to that place? Like, I think that that would be a really great sort of thing to speak to as the time, you know, she's been going through this for the last year and a half. So it seems very new, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think I spent a, a good six to nine months in, um, denial, anger, and, you know, grief, denial, anger, definitely for like six months. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, maybe after the first three, four months, grief started to pick, kind of come in there too. Um, But definitely a good six to nine months in, um, in all of that. And then after about six to nine months, I slowly started my process of acceptance. And I think, you know, a year after she came out, I was in acceptance, but still a lot of grief, (laughs) you know, so, you know, a lot of these things are coexisting and, you know, going back and forth, you know, at the same time. And, and it, it was probably a year and a half, uh, for me to move from acceptance and grief to, um, acceptance, thriving and, grief only periodically just sneaking in for just a second and then you know you know going out again you know yeah there was a point in the book where you're talking about uh you have you're talking about like letting go or like sort of like uh letting go of the future not worrying about the future and and giving yourself the opportunity to be in the present right and not uh be future thinking or to to worry about that and and I think that that was um uh, you know, speaks to mindfulness and it speaks to a lot of, you know, what we do here with regard to living in the moment and being present and being able to enjoy the people in your life or what you're doing in, in the current, the, the, the present moment of it all. Um, yeah. But I really do love that you're, you're speaking to this whole idea of letting go of that attachment of a life that you, uh, that you had, right? Because in a sense, her life is changing yeah. and your life is changing. Your entire family's life is changing. Mm-hmm. But as a mother, like there is that sort of, I think what you were speaking to feeling like, how did I not know this was happening? Right. right? Yeah. So it's, there's yeah. that like guilt factor that, that goes on. There's the factor there as the mother, you are having an identity crisis, right. you know, simultaneously really. Right. And one of the things that she actually, my friend told me was, uh, the first conversations that we've, we've discussed and she was okay with me bringing her up. She didn't want me to say her name, obviously, but like she was fine with me bringing it up was the first conversation that we had. She said, uh, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Like, what did I do wrong? And, and I think that was regard to, you know, her thinking that she affected her, you know, daughter now son's gender yeah. Yeah. because of something that she did or didn't yeah. do. And and yeah. I think that you you talk about that in the book, you know, yeah. this whole ability of accepting yeah. what is and 
Yeah. So, you know, this, I, I think one of my, one of my biggest questions for you is what did you learn about yourself during this process? And mm -hmm. what, what would you do different in hindsight now, knowing what you know now, like, not that you can't change the past. And I don't believe in regrets. I just think like, if you could go back now, knowing what you know, what would you different, do different? The first thing I would do differently is that when she first told me, rather than saying no, <laughs> I would have listened. I would have just paused and listened. You know, even if I, rather than just saying, no, this can't be, there's no way you're trans, um, absolutely not. You know, I, I know you, I know you better than you know yourself. I would have just paused and, and listened to her and, rather than reacting immediately, you know, I, you, I could just say, you know, this is a lot for me, give me a day or two, or give me three days or give me a week, let, let me think about this and come back to you, you know? So, you know, pausing and listening instead of reacting, I definitely would have done, you know, would have done that differently. I um, would have gotten her you know, I would have gotten into a support group earlier. I mean, mm. my friend tried to get me to talk to other parents in my situation. And I said, no, I don't want to talk to other parents of trans kids because I don't have a trans kid, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but I would have, I would have joined a support group and talked to other parents going through the same thing earlier. That would have made a big, you know, difference for me. For me. I, I think what I have learned from this is that you know, to not underestimate your capacity to evolve with your child, I think is really the, the biggest lesson I've learned. You know, I, in the beginning of the book, you know, I say, you know, I'm, I'm sort of praying and saying that, you know, asking the universe to let me look at my child one day and see her as my daughter and not just to call her my daughter, but see her as my son in my heart, but to actually look at her and see her as my daughter in my heart and my brain. And I didn't think that that day would ever happen. And it, mm. and it did happen. So don't underestimate your own, you know, I look at her and I don't, I see her as my daughter, 100%. I didn't think that day would come. It did come. Um, if you open your heart and your mind, your capacity to evolve and grow is beyond what you can imagine for yourself. Um, and so I think that's a you know great lesson for any parent, any non-parent, you know, anybody <laughs> really. Yeah. Because of all the injustice and prejudices that there are out there, people that aren't educated, that don't know, or that, you know, there's still so much um bullying going on. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like you now needed to do extra work in protecting your child? Like, how does that, how does that yeah. um, work for you? And, and what are you doing to sort of tackle that? Yeah. Um, I, that's a great question. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, for example, when her brother was a senior in high school, I would let him take a Lyft or Uber by himself, but with her, you know, well now because of COVID, she, there's not much lifting. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, with her, I would not. You know, pre-COVID, 
you know, I wouldn't uh, let her take a Lyft or an Uber unless it was, a, you know, she was with a couple of friends, you know. Um, so I've, I've definitely been a little more protective of her. Um, you know what, you know, there might be like her brother might walk home, you know, late, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, with, with her, you know, I haven't let her you know, do some of the things that I've been a little extra careful about. Um, so I'm, I'm mindful of that. I, I don't want to treat her, you know, differently, but, but I do take some extra precautionary steps. But I, some, one of the, some of the things I noticed that I'm doing is that, uh, that I am actively working on changing is that I do notice sometimes I'll project my own fears onto her or assume that things are because she's trans. So for example, okay. if she has a friendship um, with, if she and one of her friends have a falling out mm -hmm. and they're no longer friends, my first thought is, oh, are they no longer friends because she's trans? Whereas that could have nothing, you know, to <laughs> right. if my other younger daughter, you know, had a friendship where the friendship ended, and I would didn't. assume, oh, did that friendship break up because she's cisgender, you know, so right. I catch myself having those thoughts, mm. like, did that happen because she's trans? I immediately catch myself thinking that, and I say, don't assume that everything has to do with her trans identity, you know, it, it doesn't. So, <laughs> um, and I just have to make myself realize that I'm thinking that and, and not assume that's what it is and, and change it. Um, but so I think there's so much we do that is sort of fear-based. Um, and I really try to look at it a little bit more objectively and, and make sure that I'm not doing things based on, you know, fear all the time. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause I could totally see how that would be, uh, challenging to not think like why they're being mean, they're being mean to her because she's trans or, Oh, this happened because she's trans. It's like right. to really put yourself in a position to, right. yeah. Constantly be asking those that. questions. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. so right. What have you, you know, you being a transgender rights yeah. activist, yeah. um, what do you think the thing is that you, are most predominantly focusing on like, I mean, look, I, let's be honest, it, it all needs work. Like we need yes. to work yeah. more with being inclusive. We need to bring more diversity in a lot of different places, like just generally speaking, but where can you see a gaping hole in the transgender rights movement where you think there needs to be more resources allocated or more attention or more awareness? Yeah. I mean, there really is so, so much there, but I, I really truly believe that, you know, most people, there's a statistic that like 80% of Americans don't know a trans person or a family, you know, with a trans kid. Yeah. Um, and so I think people fear what they don't know and, and what they don't see. And so, you know, for me, like, you know, having a public Instagram where I post pictures of our family is, and, and writing this book, which is really just the, a story of a family, you know, and <laughs> kind of thing. And I, I think it, you know, does have, you know, some, you know, universal, you know. Yeah, for know. sure. I think, you know, doing that, I think when people, I wanna show that my family is not any different than a family that doesn't, you know, <laughs> my family with a trans child is no different than any other family that doesn't have a trans child. Right. And I have, 
you know, the same hopes, dreams, aspirations for my kid than anybody else, you know, has for theirs. And I think if people read my story or see pictures of my family or hear me talk, um, then if they think they haven't met a trans person or know a trans per a family with a trans kid, you know, now maybe they think they do. And when we start changing, when we just, when people start having more exposure um, and the exposure they have isn't all negative because there's so much negative, you know, in the media, then the next time there's legislation, you know, against, um, you know, that wants to take away, you know, healthcare rights from, you know, trans people, then people will think, well, why shouldn't her kid have the same healthcare rights that, you know, my kid has? Yeah. So I think there's been so much negative uh, portrayal of trans people in the media and, you know, negative coverage that, that just by sort of being out and just showing that we are a family like any other family is I think how I can really make a difference and, and then get everybody to realize how important it is that trans people have the same rights as everyone else because they are the same as everyone else. Yeah, yes. Um, you know, one thing that I, I noticed that you said and, and something that my, my friend had said that now that she actually pointed out that she's changed is that, you know, you're talking about, you know, a family that has a trans child as opposed to a family that doesn't have a trans uh, child. She would used to term it like, why can't we just be like a normal family, you know? And it's like, okay, so normal now is in insinuating that you're not normal and that's again taking away from that's separating you right and it's creating this like hindrance of a situation that mm -hmm. you think is gonna go away and it's like you are a normal family and having yeah. a trans child is a normal it's family normal. and yeah. and uh, so I really love that you you said that I just wanted to point that out for the people who are you know out there maybe that are listening that that have read your book and are just wanting to know more. Do you think now here, here's just a, a ignorant question on my part. Um, do you think that there should, there should or shouldn't be an age to where a child comes out? I've heard different things from parents that a child as young as five or six. Um, is that something that you know, as a pediatrician or as a mom of a trans child, like for a, a mom out there listening to this, like, is there a certain age where, look, I, I believe that you need to take anything serious, all of it seriously, yeah. you know, I'm not yeah. trying to word it that way, but yeah. you know, at, at what age, I guess, do you start to actually have this conversation as like, okay, like we're actually going to do this as a family, like right. we're going to transition and, right. and you know, all of those yeah. conversations, you know, yeah. is there a certain age where that's appropriate or not appropriate? Yeah. Well, one, I would just like to say, there's no really, you know, sort of, you said, can I ask an ignorant question, but oh. I do think that we need to, these are the conversations we need, we need to be having conversations and right. not be scared of asking something the wrong way or the wrong, you know, question. Right. Because it's better that right. we talk than, than, than not. Talk. Than not, right. So I think, you know, for, I really think it has a lot to do with listening to the, listening to the child. So there might be, you know, a five-year-old who was, you know, designated, you know, male at birth, but, you know, wants to, you know, wear dresses or, 
you know, uh, do, you know, other things that, you know, might be considered, yeah. you know, you know, grow out their hair and wear a dress and do things that might be considered traditionally for girls. And so, you know, allowing a child to just express themselves in whatever they want, there is, you know, zero, you know, harm with that in that. So, so it, and, and it is okay to just allow, you know, listen to the child and follow mm -hmm. their lead and allow them to express themselves how they want. And so lots of children want to explore, you know, their gender in different ways. And that is different than, you know, being trans. So, yeah. you know, there's a five-year-old who, boy, let's say, you know, boy in quotes, I'm yeah, yeah. air quotes, air quotes, you know, they're, you know, you know, five-year-old born designated, you know, male who says, you know, they want to put on, you know, a dress and the mom says, fine. And the kid's happy. And that's that kid's happy with, with that. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and that's different than a kid who wears the dress, but then, you know, when the parent is, you know, still calling them, you know, by boy name or, you know, um, it, you know, there's a difference between like, I want to wear a dress and I am a girl. Yes. So like what I want statements sort of, and mm -hmm. I am statements. And so sometimes you follow their lead on, I want statements and let them do what they want. And they're, they're happy with that. And nobody's in distress and there's no like official need to transition. And that may or may not persist. And you take it, you know, as it goes. Yeah. But when those statements become, okay, even though you're letting me grow out my hair and wear a dress and join the, you know, so girls soccer team, that's not enough. I am a girl. I want to be called a girl, you know, and the child is still not happy. Then that's sort of when you make the next decision of sort of more formal, you know, yeah. social transition. Yes, yes, um, yes. So you, so it's really following the child's lead in terms of what words they're using and whether or not they're unhappy or happy, whether or not they're in distress, you know, or not distress. Uh, and, and you don't really need to necessarily get any outside or professional help if you're just letting a child explore and they're happy, you know, it's when they're in distress and, you know, that, that you may need additional outside help. And, yeah. and in terms of medical things, you know, nothing medical happens until a child starts puberty. So okay. nobody's doing anything medical in pre-pubertal, you know, children. And usually by puberty, things are starting to declare themselves as whether this is this is here to stay or or this was just temporary childhood, you know, exploration or not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. That's really great, great to know. Um, yeah. And thank you for validating my question. Yeah. Also, I'm not a parent, you know, yeah. so that's another thing. I'm just like, I have no idea, you know, yeah. um, but I do want to have children. So, and, yeah. and I will be a parent and, yeah. you know, I, I always want to come from a place of just knowledge and education. And I have so many friends, different backgrounds and, yeah. and, you know, you just, I, I love what you said about the listening. I'm like, I feel like more adults need to do that with each yeah. other. Um, yeah. like, it's great advice for parents, but also for everybody listening. Yes. Um, yeah, I love that. So, you know, for the people that are listening to this, maybe they are going through a really hard time right now in this space, in this transition space, or maybe they're just exploring, maybe they're 
their little ones are, are really small right now. And, and, you know, they don't know what will happen in the future. Um, what are three things that you think parents should always do to show support for their children? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we kind of talked about, um, you know, sort of listening, listening to your child. Um, I think being, trying to be optimistic for your child, you know, rather than being, you know, we tend to be like, we, we go just zoom into the future and we think, oh, if this is the case, what if this happens? Right. And what if this happens? And how am I going to handle this? And what if they get beat up? And who are they going to be roommates with in college? And oh my goodness, you know, I mean, we just kind of fast forward through all of it. Um, and, you know, and so just, you know, try to be optimistic and rather than pessimistic and, you know, live in the present. And, and then sort of along the same lines, you know, a lot of that fast forwarding into the future is fear-based thinking and parenting, um, where you're letting fear hold uh, fear of what's going to happen and how this child is going to be in the outside world and what the outside world is going to do about right. the child, yes. um, make decisions about how you're going to you know parent this child so so instead of um, parenting with fear parent out of love and so so the different there is you know if you're you know like a simple like if your parent if your child comes and says to you i'm trans and you know i want to you know transition let's say and this is just way oversimplifying it but you know the fear-based reaction would be well what if you what if you change your mind what if you get beat up what if you get bullied what if you never get a good job <laughs> you know all this and um and these are all based on external factors and sort of a love-based parenting would be what is the child in front of me today saying they need from me today? And what's the right decision for this kid sitting in front of me today? Um, right. And I think, um, you know, and you can extrapolate that to uh, all children, you know, trans, you know, or not trans. We, we do a lot of fear-based parenting instead of love-based parenting. And that was really one of the greatest lessons I learned and one of the things that I had to work on the most. I, I think that that is so like, you just nailed it. I think it's so important to be able to like go into that space to, of, of openness, right? Like mm -hmm. everything that you're saying, I mean, to me, it's so easy. I'm like, oh, that's a great advice. Everybody could do it. But then when you're in it, I'm sure it's, it's hard when you're it's hard. very hard. Yeah. Well, I, man, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, I told, see, I told you that <laughs> it really was going to go by so fast. So I, I don't want to, you know, keep you. And I, again, am just, I was extremely moved by your story. And um, I know that a lot of what we focus on this podcast has to do with, you know, different uh, modalities, yoga, meditation, ritual, um, self-development. And I, I really think that your story spoke to me and I'm sure it will speak to everyone. Um, I, I think that part of what creates a great parent is somebody who's constantly and continues to work on themselves and continues to be open. Mm -hmm. And I wish that more people before they had children would spend that time doing more of that exploration. 
um, or even, you know, having, having kids, because when you have kids, you're thinking, oh, they're little kids. Like you're focusing on just keeping them alive. Right. And just going from one thing to the next that we forget, like these little beings will grow into big people <laughs> and these big people will go out in the world and create a ripple effect. And the seeds that you plant are what's going to help continue to create that ripple effect that can either help us thrive and move forward in our world or, or regress and not, and stay in the same space. So I say that because, uh, I think you're an incredible mom and <laughs> I, I'm truly like, I read your story and I was like, I want to be, I want to be like her. Like, that's the kind of mom I want to be. And so so, so yeah, I'm so, I'm so grateful that you came on the show. I, I really love, um, you know, everything that you speak on and, and I know that you make the speaking rounds and, and you do this for, for a living, right? I mean, this is part of, you know, spreading your message. So thank you yeah. for taking the time to do this. Um, I do have one final question for you. And I ask all of my guests this mm -hmm. question, and this is about this podcast. So I created radically loved as a place, as a community for people to come, to get inspired, um, just to feel supported. And the whole idea is that we are radically loved and supported by God, source, baby Krishna, baby Buddha, whatever you believe, whatever higher power of your understanding, but the universe works for us and not against us. And mm -hmm. we are completely unequivocally, radically loved. Mm -hmm. So the final question to you, it's two parts. Yeah. I, I started asking just one part, but I want to go back to asking the two part <laughs> is how do you feel radically loved and what do you radically love? I think I feel radically loved when I feel like I am truly being seen and heard because I think um, that's all all of us want is to be seen and heard for exactly who we are. And that's when I feel most radically loved. Um, what do I radically love? Um, I think, I'm not sure if this exactly answers that question, but for me, I, I went, I really love to validate other people in what they're sort of feeling and validate them in their identities and who they are and what they're feeling. And I think that has a lot to do with my work as a pediatrician and sort of validating parents. And so I guess I would say I radically love validating, uh, you know, others. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so, so much, Priya. Where can people go for more information to connect with you? Yeah, um, I have a website, pariahasuri.com, um, that I, you, people can contact me and I try to answer emails through there. They can also read other articles I've written and obviously um, get my book is available everywhere. I'm also pretty active on Instagram at LA Paria and um, I do uh, look through my DMs and, you know, answer those if, um, and um so um, I'm sure my friend's going to totally DM you after listening yeah. to this. She's going to be like, I was the girl she was talking about. <laughs> that would be great. 
<laughs> well, and so we'll put all of those links in the show notes for this particular episode. If you go to the info button, wherever you get your podcasts, all of the links um, and, and including the links to get this book will be there. And so thank you all so much for listening. Paria, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, for being uh, an epic mom, for being open and for putting this information. I mean, you're really creating a a template for parents out there who obviously you looked for it you didn't you couldn't find it so you've now created a forum and an opportunity for people to connect with each other and I think it's something that we need to do more of especially given the current state of the world um, connecting more supporting each other so thank you so much for doing that and I look forward to having you on again come see us again would love to do that thank you so much yay thank you everyone Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.